With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, Hawkeye fans. And we've got the latest edition of our Hawkeye History podcast. Uh, We're recording this on uh, Tuesday, June the 25th at around 8 o'clock Central Time uh, for reference. And real excited with this week's guest. Um, somebody I haven't talked to a lot who was here before I got here, which tells you that it was a while ago, um, because I started in, in 97, but, uh, welcome on AC Earl. And I'm sure the Hawkeye fans, uh, will be happy to hear from you and, uh, remember you well. How you doing AC? Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on. I heard a lot lot about your podcast over the years. Yeah, um, people are. I think people just get really into nostalgia and remem- remembering things. And you brought a lot of great mem- memories to Hawkeye Nation and, and Iowa basketball. And, and I think people look fondly about uh, you know back on that. And I'm sure you do as well. And uh, I know you've settled in Iowa City, so you obviously liked liked where you went to college. Yeah, you know it was it's it was kind of a thing you know we all said when we were when we all were in school we all said we were never going to stay here so uh like me james moses james winters um you know troy wade we all kind of were like we're not gonna live in iowa you know we're gonna leave we want to do something different you know and there's tons of guys that are still here i didn't even name you know that still are in different parts of the state but um yeah, you know, my 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 wife came back and went to law school and got her master's degree, and we started having kids, and then we just figured out this was a great place to raise kids and uh, just capitalize on some of the opportunities that being local had. So, um, yeah, so it just, I mean, it was kind of an accident, but it, it was a good accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can relate. I moved here as I said, in 97 from the East Coast to to cover Iowa athletics for several years and then move on, and uh, I never left, so met my wife here. So um, it's, it is. It's just a great place to live and, uh, you know, raise a family. I've got three kids, and uh, schools are great. Um, mm-hmm. So what are you doing um, kind of professionally now that your basketball career is over, AC? Well, I, when I first came back, I wanted to coach. You know, a lot of my buddies were coaching guys I played with and against uh, overseas or in college or professionally, and they kind of coached me into coaching. Uh, So um, I started coaching. I did high school at Solon for five years. Um, I did semi-pro for three or four years, you know, CBA and WBA and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, ABA. And then, uh, you know, I was slowly getting into real estate. A lot of my friends were in real estate and they kind of told me like, Hey, you know, you should get your license. You know a lot about it. And, uh, 
I kind of made a bet with myself one year that I wasn't coaching. I said, okay, if I'm not coaching for a little while, I'll go get my real estate license. So I got my real estate license, which uh, then kind of precursored me to get more, you know, rentals and things of that nature. So I did that. Then I went back to grad school. I went, well, I went back to school, got my first graduate degree in uh, 2012-ish. And then started teaching for the university in the sports and rec management department, which uh, was leisure studies when I was in school. So that was my original degree was leisure studies. So now we're sports and rec management. Uh, so I teach in that department. I teach a couple courses there. Uh, you know, I started AAU for my, you know, my kids. My kids started growing up. I did AAU for 12 years. Um, so I just, you know, I do a variety of things, you know, with teaching and coaching and train, you know, I train kids, I do camps, uh, those were the big, you know, the big things that kind of kept me in the community and kept me around Iowa. Um, so it was, you know, it's funny at one time it was like 10 of us all had kids that were playing against each other. You know, so <laughs> We go to Des Moines, you know, you see Troy and Wade's kids. You go to Cedar Rapids, it was James, Moses' kids. And, uh, you know, so it's just all over. You know, I was fortunate enough to one time coach John Carter's daughter uh, mm -hmm. for AAU. Uh, once coached Marshall Cotton's daughter for AAU. So, you, you, you know, you, you know you're getting old when you're coaching <laughs> your, your teammates or ex-teammates or you know, things of that nature. And, and it's funny, Val, Val coaches my son uh, for AAU, and James Moses coached my daughter at one point for AAU. <laughs> so, um, so it's really come full circle. Like I said, if you would have told us all back then, and, you know, this is what's going to happen, you, we'd all unequivocally know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um your is your daughter playing college ball now and your son's yeah, still in oldest one my oldest one's at Lawrence University in Appleton, okay. Wisconsin. Gotcha. She's she'll be a junior there. Uh so she's had an outstanding career so far. She's uh led the led the team in uh scoring, rebounding, blocks, three point uh percentage, three points made, game started, minutes play, uh She's all conference this year. She was second team, I think, last year. Uh, so she's on point to be a thousand point score. I think right now she's fifteenth or sixteenth. Nice. Uh, so she's having a great career there. And then I have a sophomore daughter who's going to be at City, uh, be a sophomore at City. Uh, play a little varsity last year as a freshman, and then my eighth grade boy, uh, who will be a uh, be an eighth grader at Southeast. He's having a great, great summer. He's, he's got a lot of interest from Iowa. We were just at Bradley's camp. So he's really, uh, he's really doing well. So those are the three kids that play ball. And then I have another kid that, that runs cross country. Gotcha. Um, what's it like watching your kids compete? Um, it's easier now. Um, I think, uh, you know, I had to kind of go through the cycle. You know, my dad coached me really hard when I was growing up. Um, and myself being a high school, you know, I was highest. I was, a, I was ranked 79th in the nation as a senior. 
uh, was able to attend the Nike camp as a senior to be top 100 players in the nation. Uh, you know, to kind of try to try to instill that in your kid uh, was difficult. And I, I, I train and coach them differently now. So, um, you know, the understanding they're all different, you know, and understanding I was kind of a late bloomer as well, mm-hmm. even though I had some success in high school. You know, I tell my I tell my my kids all the time, like, hey, I, I redshirted my freshman year because I wasn't good enough. Thought I was good enough, but I wasn't. Uh, you know, and I didn't have my my best part of my pro career till probably overseas. You know, I had some some good games in the NBA. You know, I had a forty point game. I had a week where I averaged thirty points a game, roughly. Uh, but you know, when I went overseas, when I had my most success, I was uh, MVP of three countries in eight years. So, uh, so understanding that it can happen late, and kind of being patient with them so you know i just kind of tell them like now with social media and now that so many avenues out there that you know things are different you can't just kind of kind of can't just sit around the house and do nothing like Sorry about the back dog when i back played now, folks. <laughs> oh, I hear that. yeah uh, so yeah back when i played i mean i didn't play aau till i was 16 so I mean, you know, I, you know, like my son and most of my kids have played 50, 60 games a year, uh, 50, 60 games a a year since third grade. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I haven't, I didn't play 50 games. uh, I didn't play 50 games a year until probably my sophomore year of high school. So things are totally different, you know, and I tell them that, Hello. You Avenue. Yeah. Uh huh. You cut yeah. out there for a second. I hear you. Oh, now. okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, hey, it's just a different avenue. Like, you know, you got to really put it all in if you want to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, club sports, AAU, things like that now are just so specialized. When we were kids, man, we was, you know, if it was baseball season, it was baseball season. Football season was, you know, now it's a lot of times kids are, there's so much asked of them and, and, you know, to, they don't get a break sometimes. Yeah. And that's where I, I try to get, I try to get them breaks and work breaks into their schedule, try to give them mandatory weekends off and mandatory things off you know there was one study i read a long time ago steph curry's dad dale curry kind of saw that mm-hmm. and he held him out of aau he said he can only do one aau tournament a a, a month and the rest of it was going to be just shooting and so um it, it was kind of a caveat because obviously he didn't get a scholarship you know his major scholarship was davidson uh Duke in North Carolina and Kansas and some of the schools told told him uh, that you either have to come in and redshirt or you're not good enough to play at this level because they hadn't seen him play, right. you know, on the circuit. Right. So obviously, looking back on it, it, for the short term, it was maybe a bad decision, but the long term, the skill work that he put in, yeah. you know, got him to the point that he's at now. So. I think parents have to find that uh, happy medium. Um, 
you know, and figure out, you know, if it's worth it. You know, a lot of with me coaching 12 years and doing training and camps and things, you know, I've seen where parents just put too much time, energy and effort into something that's just not going to, you know, the kid's not, the kid doesn't want it or the kid cannot, you know, has a ceiling, you know. Sure, sure. So let's go backward now to, um, you know, when you were younger, um, was basketball your first love? Uh, yes, in a sense. I mean, my, my dad was a three sport athlete out of Hammond, Indiana. Okay. Um, uh, played football for Augustana, you know, won some championships, played with, um, Kenny Anderson, uh, uh, football player. I think it's Kenny mm-hmm. Anderson played for the Bengals or Cincinnati. Was yeah, that him? Quarterback for the Bengals. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I got played with him. Um, uh, Played baseball, was really good in baseball. So he started me because at the time, you, you know, you couldn't, there wasn't anything for basketball until third grade. So I played, I played, you know, little league baseball first and second grade and hated it. You know, I was scared of the ball. I was too tall. I was gangly. I, you know, my dexterity was not there. I was slow, hated it. Then my dad had me play football, flag football. Uh, so my flag football story was, uh, we ran a triple reverse back then. You, we played fifth grade, sixth grade together. We ran a triple reverse. They put me at tight end. I was supposed to just hold until the last swoop around. Mm-hmm. And I held, you know, held my, held what I was supposed to do. And I laid a kid out, knocked the kid out unconscious at, it was like a scrimmage game, not even a real game. <laughs> Knocked the kid out. The mom was in a van up top of the hill watching. She comes screaming out down the field, yelling at my dad because he was assistant. They had to call the ambulance, take this kid away. I don't know if I killed the kid. I don't know, you know, what I did with the kid. But the, the, late, the mom said to my dad, why are you letting this eighth grader play? And my <laughs> dad said he's in fifth grade. <laughs> So I was scared that I was going to hurt people. So I I stopped playing football. So that was the end. So that was the end of your football career. That was in my football <laughs> career. And then I I did a report on Magic Johnson. He had signed a twenty five year, twenty five million dollar lifetime contract. I remember that. I had no idea what that meant, but I knew it was a lot of money. <laughs> so I did that report, and it was one of the best reports in class. And that was my goal was to uh, play basketball, be the next Magic Johnson, play for the Lakers. So at what point um, growing up did you realize that you had, you said you were a late bloomer. What, at what point did you realize that you had an aptitude well, for, for the game? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that back to a certain extent. So, you know, I was the best player third grade, fourth grade at my school, then mm-hmm. I moved to another school, and we moved to a school in Moline that uh, there was another good player, but his team was bad, bad coaching. My dad took it over, and me and this player basically became like a one-two punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he was more athletic, and 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 
he, you know, he was more athletic, faster, bigger, stronger, could jump, but he didn't have a lot of skill yet. But then he shot up and he shot up in seventh and eighth grade. So fifth and sixth grade, we were the best team. We didn't lose in Moline. We didn't lose for two years. So one game he had to go, he went skiing in sixth grade. Everybody thought we were, they were going to beat us. I had 15 points in that game, 53 points, I think, with no three-pointer. Mm. So I was good, but I wasn't, you know, if you, if you put me to, you know, Chicago kids or St. Louis kids, I wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. So uh, got to seventh grade. I was one of the best players. Uh, but eighth grade, everybody hit puberty, and I didn't hit puberty yet. So eighth grade, I went from being one of the best players to maybe ninth or tenth man. So everybody hit puberty in eighth grade. You know, we formed a Moline All Star team and played again. You know, played some tournaments in the spring. I was like I said, I was like eighth, ninth, tenth man. You know. Uh, and then I would say ninth grade, I didn't play sophomore. So I didn't play, I didn't play sophomore till the end of my ninth grade year. Uh, but I was good as a ninth grader, but I wasn't good enough to play as a 10th grader. Mm-hmm. And then the 10th grader, I didn't play varsity till the end of my 10th grade year. So I would probably say the end of my 10th grade year when I was playing varsity and scoring like 10, 11, 15 points, that's when I kind of knew like, oh, you know, I can play. So, you know, I was, you know, fortunate enough to be all state as a senior, things of that nature. But, you know, when you go to these national camps and go to these big events, you know, I wasn't near where I, you know, could have and maybe should have been, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, it kind of went in phases, you know. Gotcha. We always tall. Mm-hmm. So you. So talking? I have. You, I'm sorry. There was a picture in the Moline Dispatch. There was a picture in the Moline Dispatch that had me as a as a kindergartner uh, doing the hearing and vision test, and I was like two heads taller than everybody. <laughs> so I was always always the tallest kid. Wore the biggest shoe ever you know up until always always so i met my sophomore year i started i think i started at six three or six four my sophomore year and at the end of my sophomore year i was six eight so i grew wow. four five inches wow and they grew two more inches as a junior senior and got to six ten and gotcha. then grew then grew an inch or two in college i grew got to you know six eleven i'm six eleven and Three quarters, six, eleven and a half. So I grew, you know, probably two inches in, a, in college. So were you young for your grade, or is that just did, did you just? Yeah, okay. that was one thing that Coach Davis had said is uh, if I should be in my regular grade, I'd be one of the top players in the, you know in the nation, uh, the, you know, the following year, mm-hmm. and so on. You know, that's kind of things that you see now. And, you know, we could have did that with my son. I begged my wife to do it, but she wouldn't do it. But, uh, you know, you see that where the kid is mentally ready to go, maturity-wise, ready to go to school, uh, but could use a year athletically. And, you know, you see that, 
you know, you know, I know a lot of coaches do that uh, because they understand, you know, the older kid is the is the, is the alpha maturity is the mature kid, mm-hmm. you know. So take me through your recruitment when the college coaches started to come in and kind of how you it dealt, like how your family I think you know you 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 kind of have to look at some brilliance in this to to really understand it. So, I'm you know I'm a skinny, gangly kid. You know, two hundred pounds, six ten, two hundred and eight pounds. Uh, you know, Creighton came in first. Creighton came in as a junior, sophomore, and University of Coastal Carolina came in. I think my sophomore year. Uh, so they're like, hey, you know, you're going to be this tall kid. You know, we like you now. Maybe you'll get better. Iowa will come in. Illinois will come in if you can improve. But right now, you know, so at that point, I was a mid-major player, you know. Uh, Illinois came in. Illinois and Iowa came in about my junior year. You know, that was the time that they were kind of fighting for players, you know, right. with the – Deion Thomas and Ray Thompson, David Booth, and, yeah. uh, you know, that's when they were kind of fighting for players. So, any, you know, Ed Horton, uh, Kevin Gamble, you know, uh, so there was kind of this, it wasn't bad blood at that point, but it was kind of like, okay, uh, the Illinois players are going to Iowa, you know, but the better players are staying home, you know, so... Illinois came in, Iowa came in, you know, once, you know, once one of those came in, you, you know, you knew the other one would come in. So that was good. Illinois Mm -hmm. came in, Iowa came in. If Iowa comes in, you know, uh, Iowa State came in. So at that point in my junior year, it was pretty good because I had Iowa, Iowa State, and Illinois. Uh, Michigan State came in a little bit my senior year. And then, uh, right, well, right, well, I would say late, I would say late junior year, Michigan State came in. Uh, and then Kansas came in late, and USC came in late. But then they kind of knew I was going to be a Midwest kid, so they dropped out. So it, it was a three-horse race with Illinois, Iowa, and Michigan State. So... You know, Pearl saw it. You know, Pearl saw it. Bruce Pearl. You, do I still got you? you yes, I got you. You're coming back. Okay. You left All for right. a second, but you're back okay. now. <laughs> yeah, good. I put my phone on the So... You know, Pearl's like, hey, uh, you can be the best big man in the Big Ten. You can be the best big man in Iowa. So I wasn't believing that, (laughs) but it sounded good, okay? And then Illinois said, Lou Henson said, if you come to Illinois, all we need is a big guy to block shots and rebound for, you know, for the flying Illini guys. Right. You know, which was true, you know, because, you know, they had all wings and guards, Mm -hmm. you know. And, but that wasn't going to be fun. You know, I didn't want to sit around and, and watch Marcus Liberty and, you know, Kendall Gill, Steve Bardo, uh, you know, 
Kenny Battle, Lowell Hamilton, Dion, or not Dion, but Mick Anderson. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot all the point, make all the points and stuff. So I didn't really want that. And then Michigan State was, I mean, they were still in that dump still. And uh, they were like eighth and ninth in the Big Ten every year. And Judd says, hey, you come here, we'll win the Big Ten. So Lou Henson says, if you come to Illinois, we'll go to the Final Four your second year. Uh, I didn't go there. They still went to the Final Four. <laughs> <laughs> Judd Heathcote says, no. So, yeah, so, you know, Izzo was recruiting me. I loved Izzo. You know, I, you know, at some point to me, sometimes I get upset, like, oh, I should have went to Michigan State because Izzo. Uh Izzo says, you know, you come here, you'll be the best big man Michigan State ever had. And we'll win the Big Ten uh, your second year. And uh, <laughs> they won the Big Ten my second year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so it's kind of funny, those those three schools, you know, and what happened. So, uh, so yeah, those were the three schools. I couldn't decide. Uh, where I wanted to go, I knew I wasn't going to Illinois. So then it was the it was a two horse race between Michigan State and Iowa, and I uh, I uh, I couldn't decide. My dad said, "Just go write write the positives and negatives down," and I did. And then uh, I played Michigan State that cold November day. I think my senior year, uh, and. I will beat them on that last second shot on or last second field goal on CBS or ABC. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> both the phones rang. <laughs> my dad said, you know who it is. So just answer it. So first it was Michigan State. And they said, oh, it was a tough loss, but we still want you. And I said, I'm not going. <laughs> and uh, a few minutes later, Pearl calls. He goes, you see that? I go, yeah. He goes, that's why you got to come to Iowa. I go, you're right, Pearl. I'm coming to Iowa. (laughs) That's a good story. Um, 100% true. Yeah, I mean, those are all guys that have just been, you know, from Izzo to to Bruce Pearl to, you know, Tom Dave. I mean, you're talking all guys that are some of the best coaches that have ever come through the sport, so – yeah, yeah, and I think Coach Davis was very uh, – he he understood where the big man was going, you know, where you're going to shoot threes and be on the perimeter uh, and do some things, and that was kind of my skill set. You know, back – you know, I told you Magic Johnson was my favorite. Mm-hmm. And watching the Lakers growing up, I was a Laker fan. So, I mean, I didn't want to be underneath the basket, you know, uh, you know, being in the AAU circuit, you saw guys who were 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", do some things. So I grew up, you know, me you know, sh- sh- me and Sean Kemp were the same draft, were the same high school year. Uh, you know, I'm a year under Marcus Liberty at 6'8". Um, you know, you see some guy. you know, Christian Leitner's my class. Uh, you, you know, you saw these guys do things. And so I came back to Moline, like, I'm not going to stand underneath the basket <laughs> and block shots and rebound. You know, I'm going to grab a rebound or block and push it and make an assist and, do, you know, do some things. So Coach Davis kind of saw that 
And I think that's one of the reasons why I, it made sense for me to go to Iowa because it developed my perimeter game. Even though I didn't have the some of the physical attributes to play on the perimeter, but I, you know, I was able to, you know, make some moves. I mean, I was, uh, I've set records for, you know, free throw attempts and things of that nature. And part of that was being able to put the ball on the floor and go to the basket. So was the red shirt talked about before you got to Iowa? How did that come about? So, you know what, my dad wanted me to do it all the, you know, my dad, he's, you know, he was kind of cutting edge on a lot of things. And that's one of the things he said. And I said, I'm not rich. You know, I'm 16, 17 year old kid. I'm one of the best in the Quad Cities. You know, I'm first all stater in the Quad Cities since I don't even know who's who's since. But, uh, you know, ranked 79th in the nation. I'm in Street and Smith. You know, I'm going to Nike camp, playing AAU. You know, even though I knew I wasn't to the degree of Alonzo Mourning and Billy Owens and Sean Kemp, it's like, I'm not going to redshirt. And there was a couple of schools that called me right, you know, and said, hey, will you come redshirt? And I'm like, no, you know. Uh, but a lot of people saw that, hey, this kid is still growing, which I was and did. I still feel it out. Like, I, you know, I went to Iowa. I signed with Iowa. I was 208, 210 when I Set foot on campus, I was 220, 222. I left campus at 250. Mm. So, I mean, I stood a lot filling out to do. So, uh, you know, Pearl Pearl said, hey, if it doesn't work, you're going to redshirt. You know, Coach Davis was like, hey, I'm going to give you a shot. If it, you can't crack, crack the top eight, top nine, or ten, you know, we play ten, uh, we're going to redshirt you. And so uh, as it, you know, practices started going, you know, I was telling my son the other day, you know, I played against my, my first year. We had five NBA players on the roster. Mm-hmm. Eddie Horton, BJ, Roy Marble, Les Jefferson, and Matt Bullard. So, I mean, I wasn't good enough to, you know, to crack, you know, to crack, crack the lineup or score on those guys and do anything consistently, you know, like every, like once a week, I would have a day, you know, where it'd be like, wow, AC Earl can play, you know, but it wasn't consistent enough, you know, to crack the, you know, top 10. And so, you know, red shirt it was. So then after the red shirt, you play that, the next year and play about, I don't know, 15, 16 minutes a game, six points. But then you go to your redshirt sophomore year and that's the big leap. What kind of happened in those well, first went, two I years that to led Europe to that? To for those tours. So um, that was when I had got invited to, I'm trying to think. No, I, no, I take that back. I take that back. That was, um, you know, you know, you know, uh, we had a bad year. We were, I don't know what we were, 14 and 16 or 12 and 14. Uh, we had a bad year. You know, Roy and BJ and Eddie were gone. Matt Bullard got hurt. Michael Ingram got hurt. We had a terrible year. Right, right. And everything was up for grabs the next year. So Coach Davis brought us all in the office. 
And he said, hey, whoever can play, can play. You know, we're bringing in five or six freshmen. You know, we brought in the Chris Street class. And uh, he said, whoever plays, plays. And so I look at it like, okay, this is my, really my third year in the program, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it's, it's my time now, you know. And so it was more the competition, but it was also like, I also spent the whole summer like working out, playing summer league, running, um, you know, lifting, shooting. Uh, so I was just like, I'm ready, you know, and maybe that was the maturity part of it, you know. So I should have been a junior, but I was a sophomore, you know, the athletic, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been in the program for, like I said, going on my third year. So it's like it's my time. Uh, and everything was up for grabs. So, uh, it was that, that was that right there. And then I guess what your, your sophomore and junior years, you lost to Duke in the tournament. Both you must not like Duke. Well, I like them now. If they like Kareem Earl, I'll tell you that. <laughs> coach K calls me and says, Hey, we need Kareem Earl. You'll say, Coach, where can I sign? I'm sorry for blocking so many shots against you guys way back. Uh, but yeah, there was a time when I hated them tremendously. Uh, but, you know, they were the cream of the crop. I mean, uh, they, they might have had the best finishers in college basketball, you know, versus the UNLV team. But, um, you know, they were well coached. They, 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 you know, they, they took us out of everything that we had, that we did. They had more players. They were more skilled. Uh, you know, we tried to press them, which is our staple. And, uh, you know, we couldn't press them. You know, I think I had, what, eight or nine blocks to one year and then another eight or nine blocks the next year. Uh, so, I mean, you know. I think Coach Davis believed in the press a little bit too much, and he believed that I, you know, I was the best shot blocker in the nation, which I was. But when you're playing against three or four best finishers that ever played in college basketball and five or six pros, I mean, you know, we had three, four, five, six pros on that team. Uh, You know, it just didn't work. So. you know, it was, it was, you know, it's fun to say and remember to play against that type of competition because some people never play against that competition. You know, right. I lost to the national champion twice. Yeah. So, uh, so I know what a national champion feels like, you know, and, and they whooped us pretty good both times. I mean, they whooped us by 18 and 20 or something like that, 18 and 16. But, you know, it was never close. You yeah. know, they were, they were, they, they just took it to us, you know. What was uh, what was it like playing for Coach Davis? What type of coach was he? He was a thinking man's coach. Um, you know what he would do was I love it is he would he when you made a mistake he'd ask you why why you did certain things and uh, what was your thinking? You know because he was a, you know he was a doctor in psychology of basketball or something like that so mm-hmm. everything's always for lack of a better term a mind game or a test or a quiz and uh he you know so playing for him was like hey if you believe something to be true he could tell you 
I mean, he would not be upset. Uh, so it was fun playing for him because everything was a free-flowing. Um, it was almost like playing for the Phil Jackson of college basketball, you know. <laughs> you know, we chose when we wanted to leave for games, when where we stayed, what we ate, what jerseys we wanted to wear, what time we practiced. Uh, just everything that, you know, it made us feel like we had ownership of the team. So it made us kind of police ourselves more, take it more seriously. Uh, so it was a good, it was a good experience uh, overall. What are some of the your your fondest memories of of playing in college? Um. Well, like I said, you know, it's it's a free flowing ebb and flows. Uh, I so my. My redshirt year, you know, Coach Dave was like, okay, if you redshirt and you go to class and you get a certain grade point average, you can go to the tournament. And so going to the tournament, uh, watching BJ and them their senior year, you know, we played North Carolina State the second game. They mm-hmm. lost a double over against Rodney Monroe, Chucky Brown, Chris yep. Corciani. That might have been Valvano's last year coaching. Mm-hmm. Not, um, but you know, to sit there and watch Valvano coach and see those guys play, BJ, those guys, their last game, and then Kevin Gamble. We played in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, so Kevin Gamble came down, and uh, you know, he bought us all food and everything. So we hung out with him. He was, you know, he was with the Celtics. Just got on with the Celtics. Uh, so, you know, we hung out with him. So understanding that that level of play, like, hey, this is where I got to, this is where I got to lead my team to one day, you know. So that was great. And then like my my red shirt freshman year playing, we played Carolina at home. We did a home and home with them. So we had beat them the first year. Uh, Roy and Eddie just killed them. And uh, so they came back. And I think they still had six or seven pros. I remember the announcers said, on this court, I think it's 10 future pros. And it was true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jeff Lebo and Scotty Williams, Rick Fox, and all those guys. So I used to joke with Rick Fox in Boston, like how we beat him at Carver. <laughs> so, uh, and, and he was like, oh, it was so cold there. We couldn't get warm. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that game I had 6.6 rebounds and six blocks. But to, so to do that against Carolina, like, wow, you know, you grew up watching Carolina, you know, now I just, you know, Dean Smith is over there coaching and I'm playing against Dean Smith, like, whoa, okay. And then my sophomore year playing against UCLA, you know, Don McClain, Tracy Murray, mm-hmm. all those guys, they came in, I gave those guys 30, like 30 and 15 or something like that. Uh, let's see, my junior year, who did we, what did we do my junior year good? Uh, I told somebody this the other day, and I can't remember what we did. Something I would have did, we would have did my junior year. But, oh, well, I think we tied for third in the conference, I think. I think that might have been the highlight. Yeah, I think you're right. Junior, junior year? Yeah. Yeah, 
I'm trying to think. I, I know I had a good, I mean, I had a good year. I averaged like 19, 19.5 or something like that. So I had a good year, but I can't remember what was a highlight of that year. But I think that, that was that. The, was that the year you were defensive player of the year? Yeah, that's that, right. That was okay. your junior yeah. year, right? Okay. Junior year. Third in the nation in blocks that year. I think I had 121 behind. Alonzo Morning and uh, maybe Shaq, I think. Uh, so that was good. And then my senior year, obviously beating, you know, Chris Weber in the 5-5 five five after the Chris Street game. You take me to that. Um, I, I don't even know where to ask on that. Just what was that like to, to go through that? Um, yeah, give me a minute to kind of think about it a little bit. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's certainly not something that uh, you want to rush your thoughts on. Yeah, so just to kind of paint the picture, so we we uh, we were going to go down and play. So I think we came from another place. Uh, I forget that whole. We came from another. We might have started the Big Ten, and we were just it was something weird. But we had a weird practice that day, and I remember. Chris, me and Chris were messing around. Like, you know, we didn't get enough work in because Coach Davis wanted to save our legs. Okay. So we ended up playing one-on-one after practice. And it got to be the point where everybody was watching us. And so he was, you know, we, we, we were good friends, but we he would talk a little bit sometimes. And he said, you know what? I'm the only guy that can stop you. I can't wait till you get drafted and I get drafted. I'm going to tell the coach to put me in because I can stop you. <laughs> and I said, Chris, you can't stop me. I said, you know, you can't stop Chris Weber or Juwan Howard when they come in here. And he goes, oh, just wait, just wait. And I said, okay, we'll see if you can stop Cherokee Parks when we go down there. <laughs> he said, you just wait. So we... You know, we played one-on-one. It got to be so bad where the Pearl and TD stopped. You know, they stopped the practice because we were kind of going at it. So then we, you know, that was like right before Northwestern, and then we didn't play. Then we went down there. You know, we played. Well, yeah, we played Duke, and then he, he set the record for free throws. And then... You know, we come back up and see, I had a class with him that night where he got killed. We had a night class together. And I told him, like, don't miss class because Coach Davis will make an example out of you and you won't play the Northwestern game. You won't start. And so um, I went to go eat early. He went to go eat early. James Winters went to go eat early. And I told him, go, you know, just don't miss class. And so sure enough, I left early and went to class, and he wasn't at class. And I was just pissed, right? So back then, you know, there's no social media and stuff like that, so I can't call him. So, you know, the instructor was asking me where he was, and I'm just like, shoot, this son of a gun missed class. 
And so, uh, you know, I you all used to go over to the arena and, you know, and shoot at various times in the uh, in the night before the game. So he would go early. I would go later because I always had a lot of night classes. So I would go later. So I get to the arena and it's late, you know, after the class and all the cars are there. Like everybody's cars, everybody's cars there, coaches' cars there, and I'm just like, wow, everybody's cars there. Well, everybody's trying to get ready for the Northwestern game, I guess. And, and so, uh, you know, I as soon as I walk in, everybody's just balling, like you know, just balling. And so it was just, just unreal, just unreal feeling you know and then we got games postponed and then you know we we beat michigan and i like i said i tell people all the time i never watched the game fully uh but i only remember about 10 plays of the game i don't remember the game Mm. at all really i mean people tell me i did this in the game did that in the game uh i saw a couple clips on youtube i remember my son asked me kind of walk them through some things. Uh, but yeah, it was just euphoric experience, you know. Yeah. Um, when did things, I guess, what was the rest of that season like? Uh, you, you get kind of through that Michigan game and then, you know, it's reality that, that he's really gone. Yeah, well, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we went on a roll. We, uh, we won three or four in a row, and then we lost to that Andy Kaufman that half court shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, it's, and I hadn't seen Andy since then. And it was funny. My daughter in eighth grade, we went down to Jacksonville on a tournament, and uh, we walk in the gym, and there's Andy Kaufman there. His daughter <laughs> played. My daughter. And I, I go, you know what? I'm still mad. You hit that. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I remember. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, I mean, that was kind of the bubble. Bur- that was kind of the bubble burst. You know, we're sitting in Illinois Arena, and they hit the, you know, that guy hit a fifty footer on us to win the game. Yeah, and that kind of was like, you know, so you know, we salvaged it together, got to the tournament. Uh, we lost to Wake Forest, you know, Roddy Rogers, Randolph Childers. Mm-hmm. And I later got traded for Randolph in Detroit. So I told him, I'm still mad at you for that <laughs> shot. That <laughs> played against him in Turkey, too. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, you know, it just basketball goes full circle. And, so, you know. Take me to let's fast forward to uh, NBA draft night. What that was like for you? Um, it was kind of weird. I mean, it was weird. It had a weird day to it. Uh, everybody kind of stayed at the same hotel. It was in Detroit. Uh, there was a couple weird things that were going to take place that nobody really knew. Gold, Golden State had two picks in the top eleven. And Detroit had, I think, two picks. Maybe Detroit had eight and 12 or nine and 11, something weird like that. So the consensus was Golden State was going to take a center and a guard, and the same thing with Detroit. 
and I had worked out with Detroit. I thought things went pretty well. Golden State, I didn't work out. They wanted me to play. They had me there for three days. They wanted me to play, which was illegal. So Don Nelson tried to make me play, which was illegal. I didn't play. He got mad and sent me home. And uh, which is kind of weird that he treated me like that because, you know, he went to Iowa and he's yeah, from a, Rock Island. That's he's a from Rock Island. Hawk, hawk on hawk crime right there. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Donnie Nelson was there, his son, and Donnie Nelson was trying to convince me to do all these things. And I was calling my agent. He was like, no, you're not supposed to do that. Don't do it. So it was just a weird draft. Uh, you know, that was the beginning of the uh of the young kids coming out changing the draft yeah. so there was speculation that these kids would come out and if, if they didn't come out i would have been a sure lottery so the first 11 12 pitch i think there was only two seniors but i mean look at you know penny hardaway rodney rogers jr Ryder, chris weber sean bradley uh you know they're all young players that came out. And so yeah. that changed the draft tremendously. Uh, and so, um, you know, that – and then, see, and I didn't work out for – I think Washington called me at 13 or 14. No, no, maybe they had 15, 16. I know Atlanta had 15. I worked out for Atlanta. But they were set on Douglas Edwards. But I, I did really good in Atlanta. And I thought, well, if I'm still there, Atlanta would get me. But they didn't, they didn't, they already had a center and they didn't want me. But I didn't walk, I didn't work out. Washington had called me and a couple other teams, Charlotte had called me like a week before the draft to work out. And my agent said, no, don't work out because you won't be there. Uh, so, you know, after 15, I got nervous because. Those other teams I didn't work out for. Mm. So it went six, you know, 16, 17, 18. And then uh, Boston came up. And so what kind of saved me there was uh, Dick Gavin, who, you know, was a Big East guy. Yeah. Yep. And when Coach Davis guy, and he had drafted Bowhouse a few years back. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what kind of saved me. So I, I remember talking to Dick Gavin after, and he said, "Yeah, he said we knew you might slide, and I was going to get you because of Coach Davis." So that worked out well. But I mean, that's the that's the ultimate catch twenty two for a kid who grew up a Lakers fan. I was going to say the same. The Lakers fan gets drafted by the Celtics. That's got, there's some irony in there, right? Yeah. So, um, you like you talked about earlier, you kind of blossomed once you got overseas. Was there just an adjustment period when you got to the NBA? Well, I think, you know, Boston didn't, it's one of those things where Boston didn't, they didn't scout me really. They didn't know what I could do or what I couldn't do. And they were in a massive rebuilding. And they didn't really know what they wanted to do. And I, you know, I played for, uh, you know, Chris Ford, who's a nice guy, really wasn't a nice guy then, but ter- terrible coach. He's, yeah, I think he's top five worst winning percentages of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so it was hard playing for him. It was kind of hard playing in a system that everybody kind of saw the writing was on the wall with the Celtics, but nobody really wanted to to kind of doom them for failure. So it was just like anything that could be blamed or anybody who could be blamed was going to get blamed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then the next year, you know, they took Montross. Right. And so then they put me in an expansion draft and I went to Toronto and I had success under Toronto. But, you know, we were still in a, in a, in a, in a building here. We didn't know what we were doing. So there were people in Toronto who really didn't kind of understand what was going on. So, you know, they traded me to Milwaukee for my salary slot. And then, you know, Milwaukee was in this fix where they were kind of like, we got all these lottery picks and we can't win. Uh, so, you know, going overseas end up being the best thing. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, just like with anything, fit is what, every, is what anything, you know. Right. I was just in a situation where I didn't fit, really. You know, and I had a unique skill set. I, I had a center's body, but a forward's moves. Mm. But I still had center's athleticism, you know. So, you know, and the game was starting to change now to that stretch for like that Chris Weber, Rasheed Wallace, McKnight, Marcus Camby, you know, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, you know, Kevin Garnett, like these these seven-foot guys who can run and jump and can do things. And if you can't run and jump, then we're going to stick it underneath the basket, you know. So that's kind of what was going on. And then, like I said, going overseas really helped me because my skill set really was uh, was appreciated there because, you know, there's big, you know, just like we see, you know, we see Mark Gasol and Paul Gasol and, you know, these big guys who are lumbering and have different body styles. They're allowed to do different things here because they, they learn that, over, you know, Jokic and Jurkic, you know, it's the same thing. You know, if they grew up 10 years from now, 15 years from here, they wouldn't be able to do that here in, the, in this NBA. And you got to see a lot of the world. What was that like playing overseas? You know, I I, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I can chop around and learn and speak, you know, four or five languages from that. Um, you know, to, for me growing up in, you know, my dad was big in understanding culture and getting out of our shell. And uh, Coach Davis was that way too, you know. So, so I I appreciated being in different countries that had history and you know had some famous you know landmarks and different people that went through you know lived there. And so that was fun for me. Uh, uh, I think it was. I think that was that's what helped me. You know, grew me to the adult that I am is that, you know, I was able to interact with people and, uh, and understand cultures and, and, you know, grow as a human being, you know. What was your favorite country to play in? I would say Australia. Australia was one, uh, Russia, Turkey, uh, Poland, uh, Kosovo, China, uh, you know, all of them had some good attributes, you know, uh, 
So I played, you know, eight years, 12 countries, and then, you know, playing EuroLeague and different, you know, things like that. I think I probably visited probably 30, 40 countries probably. Wow. So these days, are you still uh, a Hawkeye fan? I mean, I'm sure that's always to the case, but with a family, it's probably tough to to always get to games and see games when you're when you're following your kids around. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't seen a live game since Kenya was probably three or four years old, maybe. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm I'm you know I'm definitely a sports fan. I'm definitely a basketball fan. You know, I appreciate, you know, everything I do, you know, follow Hawkeye football, follow Hawkeye basketball, being, you know, being an instructor, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I get athletes in my class, you know, so I'm fortunate to have, you know, some baseball players and wrestlers. And that really was fun because, you know, you get to see them too as, you know, some of the sports that don't get a lot of the fanfare. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I think, you know, sports and college sports is huge, you know, and uh, seeing it from that point of view and being able to teach kids about college and pro athletics and sports is huge. And even, you know, enlightening fans, you know, about salary caps and trades and uh, things that are different, you know, things that are different than what I played. You know, when I played, you know, we didn't have the, the fuel stations you know right. so uh, i was over there one day i was helping out at uh at girding learning center and i you know i saw the fueling station i saw all this food that's just laying out like <laughs> breakfast bars and you know juices and milk and bagels and and i was just looking and there was nobody like really coming you know there was a couple people that come and grab a couple things and i was just in awe of that <laughs> that nobody was cuz if it would have been us it would have been gone there would have been nothing there <laughs> every backpack would have been stuffed to the capacity <laughs> and so i asked one of the administrators and i go they can just come and get it whenever they want they go yeah there's certain ones all over the the campus and i go oh that makes sense because if it was just one it wouldn't be in existence anymore right no (laughs) yeah just seeing that type of stuff kind of really you know changes see the changes that's made in college athletics now hopefully they keep doing things for the athletes they're the ones that uh they're the ones that put in a lot of the work and and train and do all that stuff so they deserve it yeah yeah for sure All right, AC, well, we finish this up, this Hawkeye History podcast, each time with five questions. And this one's going to be interesting for you. These will be interesting for you because I want you to think back more to college than than now, and you'll understand when I ask these questions. The first question is, what was your favorite place to hang out when you were in college? And 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 I'm sure it's different now that that you're grown and you live around here. Or maybe it isn't. I would say can't be a restaurant. Say, it can't no, be a okay. Restaurant. You know, I would say I would say the field house was kind of our. I'm talking about the actual field house, not the bar. Right, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Right, you know, the field house was kind of our. It was kind of our way to be ourselves without having the coaches around. Right. So. We could play and we would, you know, we would take on like, you know, people would, you know, people would tell you that, you know, people drive down 
from Mason City or Davenport or Cedar Rapids or Waterloo to come play us because we hang out there uh, and play. So I say the field house because, you know, that's kind of where we got a chance to show our skill, like to people who thought that we weren't good enough <laughs> sometimes. <Right. laughs> so I'd say the field house. Yeah. All right. Again, when you were in college, question two, um, what was your favorite place to eat? Uh, Hilk, well, no, no, Burge, Burge. Burge had the best food. So Burge had the best food. So if we had a break in our schedule, that's when you could go to Burge. If we didn't have practice or we were out of season, Burge was the place to go. Uh, because they also had the, 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 the best females on the campus there, too. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, lunch crowd, the lunch crowd was, was really was really thick. The daily double, they call that. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what was your favorite course or your favorite professor when you were in college? Had a few. Um, I would say, you know, my, my mentor who got me into teaching and, and back in, in being in grad school and, and hiring me in the department was Michael T. Mm. He, he uh, you know, was in the leisure studies and HHP department. I, and, and he was rough. On me. I remember the first class I took, I thought I was going to, I thought he was going to fail me. Uh, he, him and uh, Mike Moran, who was a friend of his, who, who was in the rec design department. Uh, so they were, they, you know, they had a variety of classes. But yeah, you know, you know, Michael Teague saw something in me, kind of like Coach Davis did in Pearl and uh, he didn't allow me to slack. He didn't allow me to slack, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, you know, he saw something in me at an early age. Question four, um, who did, who were your roommates in college? I had my freshman year it was very, this is very, very cool. Um, I had a baseball player from Galesburg. His name was Michael Spinks. <laughs> and he was the nephew of Michael Spinks. Wow, that is cool. Yeah, that was my freshman year. And then my second and third year, I think I was Jay Webb. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, then my se- junior and senior year was... Uh, guy Hans who ended up uh, helping me create my Venom Sports and ACRO fan club logo. So we, we still talk today. Hans is from Middlebury, Vermont. And he came, his family all were from Iowa. And they're a huge Hawkeye fan, his family. And they're from a Tumwan, different places around Iowa. But yeah, me and Hodge, we still talk to this day. He was at the draft, actually, too. He used to cut our hair. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I got and then uh, the fifth one, um, your favorite, I guess, saying or... Um, yeah, I guess, you know, favorite saying or, or Dr. Tomism or something that you remember from him that kind of oh, makes you chuckle or uh, smile. Or... Um, 
you know, Doctor Tom had a, had a lot of them, but one of his one of his favorite sayings was, um, "Okay, we had a." Recording hiccup that was probably on my end. Uh, modern technology isn't always reliable, but we can't let AC leave without telling us his Dr. Tom saying ism. Yes. yes. Uh, so it, it, so he, used, he used to call it, it's called tips don't go. Uh, so, yeah, so tips don't go meant that, uh, so if somebody shot a shot and you went, in the rebound it instead of like bringing it down and going back up you would like tip it in gotcha so he somehow had some kind of analytical stat that more people miss a tip than making it so he hated it like that was like his pet peeve if you tipped it and it didn't go in even if it went in so what he wanted you to do is bring the ball down pump fake and go back up and maybe get fouled because what he wanted to do was set the press up on the free throw right right and you know get a substitution you know what i mean and kind of rest the play so he he had it all figured out like the reason why we do it is then you let the referee see that you might get fouled, right? So you you come down, you pump fake, you go back up, you get fouled, you get a three point play. So he that was his thing. Tips don't go, tips don't go, tips don't go, tips don't go. So I mean, for a lot of athletic players, that was kind of hard for them to not to do. Um. So like when I went to the NBA, I kind of try to do that too but that but it doesn't work like that because the nba is so athletic and tall so you want to tip it in because you know you use the element of surprise and speed so a couple times i like uh it was funny so you know i played with kevin gamble my first year so i i got a rebound and pump faked and powered and i got it blocked and kevin gamble goes uh uh, tips go right here, Rook. Tips go here. <laughs> he said, this is where tips go. And I kind of looked at him like dumbfounded, and then I knew what he was talking about. So that was the end of, like, tip, like tipping, like bringing the ball down and pump faking and power. You know, he wanted you to pump faking power. Pump faking power. Come on, Bruce. Pump faking power. So. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I'm tip, sure for a lot of guys, it's instinctual to tip it in. That's what you do like most of your life. And then to, to not do that, you probably have to retrain yourself. Right. And that's what he, that, you know. All right. So, yeah, I think we got overconfident with the when we first got hooked up and now the universe is telling us, Hey, don't get, don't get too confident, over overconfident and cocky. Yes. I think so too. <laughs> but AC, I wanted to at least uh, finish up with you and, and let you know that I really, really appreciate you giving us this much time and some great stories that I think Hawk, Hawkeye fans are really going to love to hear. Yes. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be a part of it.
part of it and you know feel free to check in with me whenever and uh you know just check in yeah we'll definitely do that thanks again for your time man and, and uh, be well and uh, i'm glad okay. you're doing well good good thank you much yeah just email me the link and i'll, I'll post it on my social media right on that sounds good okay thanks a lot bud thanks have a good night yeah take care